Hey, Mark. Hey, Katie. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Unforget Yourself Show, where we use the power of woo and the proof of science to help you identify your blind spots, get over your own bullshit, <gasps> so that you can do the fucking thing you actually want to do. Absolutely. I'm Mark. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of Unforget Yourself and the creators of the Unforget Yourself system. Look, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. With vulnerability and with humor, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing with you the real stories behind the success of those brave and crazy enough to start their own business and to show you that you're not alone. You're not. Well, from the accidental entrepreneur to the laser-focused CEO, we have honest conversations about how they got to where they are today. We talk about the challenges that they faced and what they're currently dealing with in real time on their roller coaster journey. Along the way, we want to show you that it's, it's you. You are the most important asset in your business. Yeah, you are. So let's cut the bullshit and start the show. Enjoy. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the show. Today we have Carrie Sicard with us. Carrie is the founder of Virtual IP Law LLC. And after spending years in large, big law firms, serving very large clients, Carrie wanted to find a better law firm model to serve the underserved clients in a more positive work environment. And in that time, she has grown from a team of two to 11, and it's just been two years. Clearly, there is a need for this. <laughs> Carrie, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Could you please tell us a bit more about who you are, what it means for you to be a lawyer, and all about the start of your business and what you do? Yeah. So, um, Carrie Seacard, owner of Virtual IP Law. I'm a second generation patent attorney. My background is in electrical and computer engineering, so I can work on a pretty broad range of technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know, done the big downtown Boston law firms, had the long commute. Um, it yeah. gave me a great variety of experience, but I just found that the traditional law firm model really wasn't a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. It, um, it required me to miss a lot of time with my kids. There really wasn't the ability to work from home. There was the expectation that you were in the office. And I literally spent times of my career where I was spending 20 to 30 hours a week just commuting. And it's just been so nice getting that time back. And I'm not, you know, saying anything bad about the traditional partnership model. I just think it's not for everyone. And it's truly one of the few industries that has not changed in close to a hundred years and the one phrase that we always hear is well it's always been done that way and that's just i think so detrimental i think you always need to be looking for ways to change and just make things better so you know people ask me well how did you arrive at this model and honestly it's kind of the opposite of every (laughs) bad model that i've ever worked for You know, we always worked in these fancy offices and it was nice, but I never met any clients face to face and I never understood why we were spending money on, you know, this big overhead and kind of created this cutthroat toxic environment and you had to have these really high billable requirements. I mean, they're expecting new associates out of law school to bill upwards of 200 hours a month which that's pretty high billable expectations um, monthly, some even even more than that, um, 250 wow. or 300. And it's just, it's really, 
it's hard to have a good quality of life when that's happening. Um, so instead I've kind of flipped the script, um, instead of having to have these, you know, set billable hours and this salary, it's a little bit more of like a car salesman model where people get commission on the work that they do. I do take a slight risk because, um, you know, there are some models where they pay people when they get paid, but I don't think mm -hmm. it's fair to put that on my, on my attorneys is so I do take the risk of paying them and then I collect, um, the money, but mm -hmm. I'm not, there's no requirement for them. Some months I have some attorneys that put in 200 hours and then mm -hmm. some months they put in no hours and they can literally go off the grid and they just absolutely love it. Um, yeah. so my my number one goal when I started the firm was to just create a better model for myself. Um, I missed a lot of time with my kids mm -hmm. and I didn't want to have to miss any more soccer games or events or anything like that. Yeah. How and old are your kids now? So they are now 10, 12, and 14. Oh, um, yeah. So they were 8, 10, and 12 when I started the firm. Uh -huh. Um and I have aging parents. They're 81 now. My mom was diagnosed with dementia in 2016. My dad's been her primary caregiver. So, mm -hmm. um, and they were up in New Hampshire, but they go down to Florida every winter. And mm -hmm. most firms just didn't allow me flexibility to travel down to visit them much more than, you know, two or three times a winter. And so mm -hmm. I just wanted to create this model. And um, my dad's also a patent attorney. And I said, well, I think I'm going to just start my own firm. I was in the yeah. middle of the pandemic. Um, I had been laid off from the firm I was working for. I thought I'd found my forever firm. Yeah. They, a lot of their work went away as a lot, you know, a lot of people just weren't spending money on patents in the middle of the pandemic. Um, mm. And so after six months of unemployment, I said, I've got to do something, you know? Right. And so I started with not much more than my 401k and my dad <laughs> to help me out yeah. as a fellow attorney. And yeah. uh, we've grown to a team of 11 in just over two years. Um, and, you know, again, my number one goal was to just create more flexibility. And it was my dad's idea well, can you be a virtual firm? Why don't you just, you know, I don't think the world's going to go back to the same way it was for better or worse pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of time to figure out, you know, there are a lot of firms that say they're virtual, but they really have one home base where they still get all their mail and someone, you know, physically is there doing all of the things and they just mm -hmm. have people working remotely. We are we truly don't have a home office everyone works from home which was very challenging probably took me eight months to totally implement all of the pieces of it yeah uh, but it's just been incredible um and so i thought well i created this flexibility for myself um let's see if we can bring on more people and i took on she's actually become a very good friend of mine. She was my mentor in law school and she mm -hmm. had been in-house for gosh, 12 years for a large company and she just got burnt out. They wouldn't even let her leave yeah. early on Fridays type of thing. Um, and so she went on an 18 month sabbatical and towards the end of it, I reached out to her and I said, what are you doing when you come back? Um, I'm getting busy, you know, not really busy enough to keep you full time busy, but I could give you a couple of things and maybe you could bring in your own work. You do a great job. And uh, 
she said, okay, I don't really want to work a lot. And I said, good, I don't have a lot of work <laughs> to give you, <laughs> yeah. but I can give you a place to land and, you know, do all of the things. I've got a paralegal. I have all of the support that you need. So you're not filing or dealing with any of the administrative stuff. And it, it worked really well. And as soon as she posted on LinkedIn, as I expected would happen, people were just I want to I want to work with you. I did. I'm so glad to see that you're working somewhere. And yeah. so then it just kind of snowballed into. Um, yeah, we're now six attorneys, one patent agent. Uh, I hired a COO to help get operations and procedures in place. I have mm -hmm. a virtual assistant, a marketing officer. And I think I'm forgetting someone, but <laughs> we have grown very rapidly. <laughs> That's yeah. the only downside is sometimes I'm like, I'm missing someone in the team. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to all of us. I do it with my kids. <laughs> oh, the accountant. I'm missing our accountant. So, yeah, I know, right? Which child am I missing? <laughs> so it, it's been a interesting ride, but it's been a lot of fun. Just definitely have to go with the flow. <laughs> well, yeah, especially when you have such rapid growth within that short amount of time. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, that's a lot to manage, but clearly you've done it and you've done it doing something that <laughs> was the need, obviously. Yeah, I was literally blown away. Um, you know, I took on the one attorney and I waited probably about five months and I thought, well, let me just put a post on LinkedIn and it was incredibly vague. I was expecting to hear crickets or maybe a few responses. I had so many responses. I had to shut the posting down in seven days because I was overwhelmed with extremely qualified applicants. It was, wow. it was insane. And even now people ask me, why, why, what are, why are people drawn to you? Mm -hmm. And for the first few months, my answer was, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't really know, but you know, the more I thought about it and started asking people, it's the positive work environment. It's the camaraderie, but the biggest thing is I don't have any billable minimum requirement. Mm -hmm. I mean, if people aren't doing work and they're not supporting the minimum amount, then it's mm -hmm. not going to work out, but it's not going to work out for them either because they need to be making money. Um, yeah. But people really, and I've actually had a couple of attorneys tell me that's why I'm here is that you don't have any minimum requirement for people because that minimum can be so overwhelming. Yeah. It sounds it the way you put it to have that, those hours and that mm -hmm. requirement. I mean, that is more than a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And it's, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's really backwards though. It's not backwards. It, it works for some models. If you have a large client that's just cranking out a number of consistent applications, I've done that mm -hmm. kind of work. It's nice. Mm -hmm. it, you have a steady stream of work. It's very difficult to build a meaningful relationship with those type of clients because they often have multiple firms. Um, it's not super rewarding. Uh, for me, I would rather have 
20 relationships with entrepreneurs and startup companies that really have a cool idea or that are really passionate about what they're doing. And that's really a meaningful relationship that I can build than one client mm -hmm. that gives me 20 patents. So that's just, and that's just my personal preference. You know, I think you have to find what works for you. But the problem with that model of having these big clients and they often have a big office space that has a high overhead and mm -hmm. they kind of work their way backwards into they have to have this you know they have the set amount of work and they get mm -hmm. a fixed amount let's say they get just to use an even easy number ten thousand dollars per patent right mm -hmm. and they have a company that maybe sends them 10 a year okay that's great you've got all of this work coming in <clears throat> yeah but one, you can't be flexible with your client. Like you have to charge that $10,000 to make it work. And then you have to have your associate put in this amount of time to make it work. And the other problem with that is that billing rates are going, are skyrocketing. When I left Boston, oh goodness, it's been close to seven years ago. My rate was $350 an hour. If I was still yeah. there, it would probably be $500 an hour. I just, wow. I don't have to charge that. I can charge depending on where clients are located or what their needs are, how much handholding are they going to need. They give me a great, great description. I can literally charge different rates, different amounts to different clients. I'm not s stuck in this fixed fee of I have to charge you 10000 per patent, which is fine mm -hmm. for some clients, but, you know, for the average entrepreneur or startup, maybe they don't need a $10,000 patent. Maybe they just need a three to $5,000 patent with some basic minimum coverage for them. Maybe they don't need every single scenario under the sun thrown in there. Yes, right. your big clients, they're gonna want to have that, they, especially your litigious clients that are gonna be mm -hmm. suing people and going after people. Most people that I talk to, they just want to cover their own product and they maybe want to license it. So you don't have yeah. to go crazy, but if you're set up with that model where you have to build this amount to cover the overhead so that you have enough work to pay for the associates, then the associates mm -hmm. have to meet these crazy amounts and then their rates are going up. But guess what? These fixed fees, they're not going up. Your client's not saying, hey, uh, you can charge me 11,000 this year for a patent or 12,000. Maybe if you're lucky, that might happen, but most often not. So now you have your rates going up and your fixed fees staying the same. So what a lot of these firms are doing to compensate is either they're using software, which I'm not a big fan of. I, mm -hmm. I think there's a great place for AI and software, but not for yeah. writing patents. To me, that's just too much of a specialized thing, like a, someone with experience. I've been doing this mm -hmm. for a little over 20 years i don't like to be able to admit um <laughs> that means you know what you're doing <laughs> yes yes but <clears throat> but by having that model either that or you have to write off time or you're basically just not able to put the time in so it's i just sat back and went it just feels like it's broken and it's yeah. not not working and especially for the startups and entrepreneurs um, oh, yeah, and small that's... to mid-sized businesses.
yeah, that at that level to have to pay 10 grand at the beginning for a patent and it's giving you more, it sounds like, than what you actually need. I didn't even realize that was a thing, that patents come at different levels. So could you educate someone who might be experiencing what I am going, oh, there's different levels or types? Yeah, oh, and this, yeah this, is, this is great. And um, this is why whenever I start out with a new client, I ask them all kinds of questions. What is your mm -hmm. end goal? What do you want to do with this patent? Are you going to make yeah. the product yourself? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to be licensing it? Are you going to be suing people? Or is this just going to be something that hangs on your wall? Do you just want to be patent pending and you don't really ever care about ever enforcing it? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I like to analogize. I love to use vehicle analogies. And I, I always analogize myself to the honest mechanic, right? There's a mechanic mm -hmm. that will try to sell you blinker fluid. And there's a mechanic that will just sell you what you need, you know, up oh, yeah. in six months, you may need your brakes done, but they're okay for right now. You know, I'm the mm -hmm. same. Yeah, you should probably file a trademark right now. But if you need to wait six months, that's okay. You know, um, a scooter, or even a moped, oh, someone gave me a great analogy and it's escaping me but a moped and a ferrari will both get you from a to b mm -hmm. the cost is very different for yeah. each one but yeah. i can give you a ferrari patent and i can give you a moped patent but you need to find the attorney that's asking the questions mm -hmm. because there really shouldn't be one patent that fits all um Okay, yes. I am having a real time moment here because <laughs> this we I didn't experience this when we put a patent. We have we have our um, forget yourself system, you know, patented. I think I'm saying this right. This is I'm stumbling through it, and I think that's what most people will do because we're like, I don't it's know confusing. what this it yeah. is. So, should somebody who was in my position before who went to patent their creation mm -hmm. have, should they be asked what, what's the point? Like what questions should they be asked? Cause I know my experience was, I was asked zero questions. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it includes, mm -hmm. but I know my intent was just, I want to protect my intellectual property. Mm -hmm. um, the end. Yeah. I think the important thing is that they are asking you questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they're not asking you any questions, that to me is just concerning and either they're new or they're just not honest and they just are going to try to get you to do as much as, you know, they think is reasonable. Um, unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of discretion with what attorneys can do, you know, before it reaches an egregious level. Um, and unfortunately, not everyone out there is honest, um, you know. So I just think it's important to work with someone that is asking the right questions. And I tell people all the time, talk to multiple people. You know, if you got a devastating medical diagnosis, would you just talk to one doctor? No, right. you'd probably talk to a couple and get quotes, you know, get quotes and make sure that they are asking you the questions. Um, so real quick, uh, trademarks, copyrights, and patents are sometimes really confusing what the difference is between them. I like yeah. to use John Deere as an example, John Deere tractor. Um, yeah. So trademarks 
covered that they are a source identifier. So John Deere is a trademark, the name. John mm -hmm. Deere Green, the color, is also a trademark. So it's an uh -huh. identifier of a source of or goods. Trademarks. So that's, you probably have a trademark. I think I saw the circle R on, on Forget Yourself. Mm -hmm. um, trademarks, the biggest cost with them are the number of classes that you file in. Mm -hmm. So if you want it to be covered for a website, that would be one class. If you want to have t-shirts that have your name on it, that would be another class. So that's the questions I ask are, what are you using it on now? Where in the future do you plan on using it? How far into the future do you plan on using it? You know, things like that. How yeah. important is it to you? Um, if someone wants to trademark their name in general, the questions I ask are, uh, how upset would you be if someone else was using your name? How upset mm -hmm. would you be if someone else, if you had to change your name because someone else had rights to that name that you weren't aware of? I see that all the time in the restaurant industry. People don't yeah. do a basic trademark search and they get hit with a cease and desist right after they open and it's just devastating. Um, so I think it's just important to find someone that's asking those questions for both trademarks oh, and and patents. And then uh, getting back to the John Deere example, copyrights would cover mm -hmm. any works of art. So like your instruction manual or if you have a poster that has mm -hmm. John Deere on it, those would be copyrights. If John Deere were to come up with a brand new tractor that runs off of water, that would be a patent. Mm -hmm. So the patent kind of covers the article itself, the trademark is the name you use the, in connection with it, and then the copyright is any artwork or like mostly tied to artwork related to it and can also be software code. This feels very much like the underlying bit to the relationship piece that you said, like to be mm -hmm. able to sit in a moment and explain it and then take the time to um, extract actually what your client's needs are. And mm -hmm. so did you find for you that that desire is what sort of fueled your ability to do what I like to call the big scary thing and do something completely different? Yeah, I think so. Um, just seeing the, the need for clients to be served better yeah. and the need for attorneys to have a better work environment and to be able to fill both of that those needs through one kind of common solution has been really really rewarding uh, yeah. i was actually just talking to someone yesterday on my website i offer a free 15 minute consultation uh, i say all the time if you can't find if an attorney won't give you at least 15 minutes of their time at no charge, most attorneys in my experience will give half an hour to an hour before mm -hmm. they start charging you. If not, they're probably not someone you want to work with because they're, they're just, maybe they are, you know, but um, if they're not going to give you at least that little bit of time to get to see if you even need their services or not, you mm -hmm. know, then it, it's probably not worth it. <laughs> So that so I was talking to someone yesterday, I actually had three 15 minute consultations yesterday, and she said, I paid two people to do a search so far. And one gave me this answer and the other one gave me this answer and no one has really told me what to do or where to go or how to even move forward. And so it just 
I see that all the time. I mean, just the three examples from yesterday were all semi horror stories of just bad experiences people have had. And it's just, mm -hmm. I don't know. There, there are a lot of attorneys out there. Patent attorneys are, are dwindling a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Just there are not very many of us, but um, that's the other thing is I would make sure if you are looking to get a patent, make sure you're talking to a patent attorney and not just someone that is an intellectual property attorney. A patent attorney has to have an engineering degree and take a separate examination. Oh, um, so that's make sure that a big deal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I probably downsize it. On? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so make sure that, or a patent agent. So the difference between a patent attorney and a patent agent is the patent agent has an engineering background and they took the mm -hmm. special test before the patent office. They just don't have the law degree. Oh. Oh so my either one of those I would recommend contact. That's so much education that goes into it. No wonder you're able <laughs> to provide what you provide. Now, with all of that, because you went through, you had, that's a lengthy education. Mm. It's a lot of time invested into, into building, um, a, you know, what you developed with working with, uh, within the law firm. Now, I know you were laid off for a bit, as as a lot of us were during the pandemic, mm -hmm. but you still went and did something completely different in an industry that isn't doing things differently. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you in that moment of decision and switch? Because right now you're on the side of, this has worked out well, and I've mm -hmm. done the right thing, but you didn't know that then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, fortune, I don't know if fortunately is the right word, but there was a little bit of necessity. So I kind of had, I had to do it. I remember someone pretty early on asking me, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? And I just kind of looked at them like, what do you, it's going to work. Like, I don't have any other choice other than to make it work. So, right. like, I just, I just remember like that, that thought had literally never even crossed my mind at that time. Like I just knew I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make this work because I don't ever want to have to go back to living that life and missing time with my kids and commuting 30 hours a week. You know, I just, it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm just not going, I'm not going back there. And, you know, I think you can do all of the things and get your business set up but if you don't believe in yourself and believe in your value it's not going to work and it took me a little while i had to do some work on that in the beginning of my business mm -hmm. because i was definitely undercharging initially my rates were too low i mean I'm like oh, i'm a virtual firm i have no overhead but mm -hmm. one of my friends said and he owns a cbd company he said if i figure out how to make my costs less i don't charge people less i just make more money and i was like <laughs> hmm you know like you say you've gone through all this education i have you know 20 years of experience in the intellectual mm -hmm. property field um, my dad literally started me out i think in high school maybe even middle school with reading patents <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and, and whatnot so yeah but I didn't really value myself enough. And so I think that's just so important to make sure you've done the work 
and it's okay if you have to do the work while you're going, you know, you can just start yeah. and figure it out after, but it's important to make sure you're working on yourself while you're growing your business because if you don't it really doesn't matter how hard you work on everything else exactly it's the most simple analogy and similar to what you used earlier when we're talking about like in a vehicle mm -hmm. you can you can have if you think of your vehicle as as your business or whatever else and you can soup it up and put everything in there and you know change the oil more than regularly do all the right things but if you as a driver haven't rested if you aren't taking care of yourself, if you aren't experiencing what it's like to be on different roadways and all of that, it doesn't, you're going to crash your car. So true. Yep. <laughs> so how do you not crash your car? What is that? <laughs> and how did you not um, at the beginning? Um, I think recognizing it was step one and step two was putting in the self-care. Um, I worked with, and I still continue to work with, um, a therapist and a communication coach. Um, mm -hmm. so the communication coach definitely helped me put in the work to just get rid of that head trash and that, like, I'm not good enough. Um, and mm -hmm. she literally calls it head trash. She'll have you just write it all out. And when you see mm -hmm. it on paper and look at it, sometimes it sounds so ridiculous and you just ask yeah. yourself, like, is this really true? And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, just going through that exercise. But the biggest thing that she helped me realize was that I was not giving, truly giving myself the self-care that I needed. She's like, well, what do you do for yourself? Well, I work. I love my job, <laughs> you know, and oh, yeah. Just, Okay, that's great, but that's not that's not caring for yourself. And it actually mm -hmm. took me some time to even realize what was self-care for me and what did I enjoy to do because we're so taught to care for others and, you know, especially when you have kids, it's the kids are first and there's my business and so it took me a long time to realize what I needed and now at a bare minimum, I get a massage every other week and mm -hmm. it's only an hour every other week. I try to get an hour every week, but at a bare minimum, every other week I get my hour massage. Um, I do get a chiropractic adjustment every week. And if I can on the other weeks, I like to take myself out to lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started working for downtown Boston firm, I had to travel a lot and mm -hmm. I will never forget the first time I had to go out to eat by myself. It was horrifying sitting in a restaurant by myself i was in california and i remember i just i brought some work with me and i sat mm -hmm. down i thought okay well i'll just you know do a little bit of work and this will be fine and mm -hmm. i grew to learn to love it and right. so now <laughs> like especially now that you know i have kids like, this is great someone waits on me no, I don't even have to talk to anyone. <laughs> Sometimes I just bring a book and read and people uh, look at me like, oh, that poor woman eating alone. I'm like, oh no, this is fabulous. <laughs> oh, my word. I feel like we could have a whole episode on this discussion alone. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so it's fantastic to be able to get to a place where you've done that. Where do you find you still need to lean into some work or what maybe even scares you or challenges you now that you're in the process of working on? Ooh, great question. 
Um, I would say I'm working on being better about my routines. So um, it's great growing and scaling so rapidly. However, things can get out of hand really quickly if I don't keep on top of the small things. And right. when things get so big, we have a tendency to think, oh, well, the small things don't really matter because I have so many big things. Yeah. And so I think just focusing on the little things and getting the little things done, yeah. I'm I'm working on that and having the routines so that, you know, my emails can spiral out of control in two days if I'm not checking them three or four times a day. And so just making sure that I'm being more accountable to myself. Yeah. Let's say. Well, well, with that, what routines will lead you to where you want to go? Or maybe even the better question is just, where do you want to go now? And do you mm. know how to get there? Uh, so my goal next, at least for the business, is I think that my model is franchisable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I don't know how to get there, but that's my goal. So we're, I'm doing everything possible to get it ready for, for when that happens. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, that's my goal. Um, so that we kind of have a bunch of little mini versions of what I have, because I do want to grow and scale, but I think when you have one company, that's too many people, it's hard to keep that, I don't know, family type feel. Um, oh, but yeah. if you franchise it out, you can maybe keep it a little bit better. That's my plan anyway. Does it excite you? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I was in a group and someone said, what's your five-year plan? And I wrote that down and they said, okay, now how do you get it done in six months? And it was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good challenge. I like it. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, well, Carrie, this has been, not only has it been a good time talking to you, but it has been super enlightening. Glad to hear that. I feel like the time flew by. This was a lot of fun. It does fly by. (laughs) Well, I would like to make sure that anybody listening who's going, oh, I need that can find you. Where can people find you? So they can connect with me on LinkedIn. And if they would like to schedule a consultation, there's a link right on our website, virtualipllc.com. And there should be a link right there to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. Fantastic. While I did not have a a 15-minute consultation with you, I'm going to just double plug that because I've been on the other side of it and not having had that, I wish I had. (laughs) well thank you (laughs) well thank you again for your time it has been such a pleasure thank you for having me this was great oh you're welcome hey katie yeah mark want to do an outro i sure do sweet hey thank you so so much for listening and making it to the end yay you so what happens next we ask them the things that podcasters are supposed to ask at the end of an episode. Can you please rate, review, download? Subscribe. Mm. Yeah. But why is it important? Because that's how our podcast gets noticed. That's how people find us. It is. And we want all their earballs. <laughs> all the earballs all over the place. We do. Nice. Yeah. So please do all those things. We'll be ever so grateful. And then more people hear your beautiful voice. Or yours. Mm-hmm.
<laughs> See you next time. Bye.